If you have your Bible, you can turn with me to Psalm chapter 19. Psalm 19. That's going to be one of our primary verses this morning. Psalm 19, verse 1, as we continue to ask big questions. Questions about God, the Bible, and life. And we've already looked at what the Bible says about itself and why Scripture is so important and how reliable Scripture is. Last week we talked about the skepticism many people have because of their questions about God's goodness in the midst of an evil world of suffering. We learned about how God's grace is the reason why we are even continuing in this world. And this morning I want to look at a big question regarding science. Now already I understand this turns some of you off completely. And so I want, to, I want to clarify something. This morning's message is not a lot of science statistics for you to put in your pocket and learn about all these scientific things in Scripture. There are places for that. This morning is not one of those places. We're going to ask the question, how do you reconcile faith and science? Don't they seem to be at odds with one another? This is a question I get a lot from people. And can, can I be honest with you for just a moment? The answer, again, is fairly simple from a biblical point of view, but the questions they ask are sometimes extremely difficult to answer because I'm not a scientist. I can tell you what the Bible says. I can open up the Word of God, and I can read that to you, and I can talk about what God is teaching and saying, but when you start getting into the molecular particles of the... I think I'm making things up right now, too. I don't even know if those words go together. I'm lost, right? There's one of my, my favorite books, nonfiction, or I'm sorry, yeah, nonfiction books I've read uh, is a book by Lee Strobel. It's about this thick paperback and thin pages. It, it's a fairly hefty read called A Case for a Creator. The Case for a Creator. Lee Strobel has written The Case for Faith and The Case for Christ and several, and this is a, a thick book of him talking to scientists. I really enjoy it, but about 50% or better of the book, I'm lost. <laughs> I just, I don't understand how it all works. And so when people come at you with questions about science and say, how do you reconcile this with the Bible? It's easy for us to stand back and go, I don't know, I'm lost, I give up, wave the white flag and move on. As if we are conceding science wins, right? This morning, as we look at these big big questions, I want to tackle the question of science, not because we are scientists, but because we have answers to those scientific questions. The question I get asked often is, how do you reconcile your faith with what science teaches? And the answer is really easy. It's because science and my faith are not at odds with each other. It's not two people fighting that I have to reconcile. They actually work hand in hand. Here's a shocker for you. Everything that science studies, everything that science is trying to to know and learn was created by the one who wrote the Bible. (laughs) I think he knows a thing or two about the Word of God and about the creation around us. And so this morning, I do want to look at this question. How do we reconcile faith and science? How do we put them together? And I want to start by reading Psalm 19, verse 1, to illustrate that God's purpose of the creation around us is not to put us at odds with His Word, but to bolster our faith. Read with me in Psalm 19, verse 1. The psalmist writes, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky proclaims His handiwork. If you read on in the chapter, it talks about how even without words, creation lets us know 
who God is or enough about God that we can recognize there's a creator. Psalm 19.1 tells us it's science, the heavens, the natural world around us that shouts and declares the glory of God. They proclaim his creation and him as creator. Now, I think it's probably less beneficial for us to keep using the word science the way most people use science. I want to talk this morning about nature or creation because science is an extremely misused word. Science literally means knowledge. It comes from a Latin word that means knowledge or understanding. And because of that, there are all sorts of different sciences. When you think of science, you think of atoms or you think of uh, you know, studying uh, experiments and mixing chemicals together. But there is a science of history. There is a science of mathematics. There is a science of uh, medicine. There is a, a wide range of scientific topics because science literally is the accumulation of knowledge, studying the world around you and trying to figure out what's going on. Science really can be used as a noun, but shouldn't be used primarily as as a matter-of-fact thing. So when you hear someone says, science says that, science can't actually speak, okay? Can, can Can we back up for a minute? Science is a process, it's not an entity, right? So science is not declaring anything. Science is a process by which we absorb things. Nature is the entity. The creation is the entity, Right? The world we see around us is the thing we're looking at. It speaks and it shouts to us. Science is the way that we interpret what is around us. Science says has been abused by so many people. Science is an ongoing and changing process. Here's a shocker for you. Science, the way we typically use it, is not an exact science. <laughs> science changes. There were times when science told us that if something died, maggots spontaneously appeared in that dead animal, right? This was science, and they actually studied it and replicated it. They put something dead out, and what do you know, maggots continued to live in there. That's how life came to be. Something dead, life springs out of. Guess what? We know now, in 2020, that that is ridiculous. Science has done more experimentation, and it's changed. There was a time when everyone thought from the observable world around us that the earth was the center of the universe and everything revolved around it. Until science started doing some studies, they started plotting stars, and then they decided the sun was the center of the universe and everything revolved around the sun. Well, we got closer. As we study more, we realize the sun is the center of our solar system. But there is something far greater that everything revolves around, even than our solar system. Do you see how science is constantly learning and changing and growing? And by the way, that change is a good thing. Those changes is why we know how to treat you medically in ways we didn't used to know how to treat you. It's those changes that allow us to understand that that we made mistakes in the past and now we can do them better. Science is ongoing and it's changing. And when we compare science to the Word of God, we have to understand one of those things is changing and one of them never does. And so if I'm asking you, which is more reliable, the thing that is constantly evolving and growing and learning 
or the thing that has always been true from the very beginning and is true and will be true for the very end. We understand that as we're comparing them, they're not a fight against each other. The truth of God's word stands on its own. So here's two real common ways before we look at how nature confirms God's word. Here's two ways that we've misused the process of science. One is that we form a hypothesis and we collect data to confirm that hypothesis. Now that is the scientific method and it's not wrong until we realize that we're trying to come to an answer before we ever start the experiment. This is actually really easy to demonstrate. If you want something to believe true, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, if you deep down want that to be true, you're going to find evidence to support that. Here's a really easy illustration for you, okay? And I'm going to make you really uncomfortable for a minute. You didn't know I was going to get this. I didn't know this would be the most controversial question I ever asked from the pulpit at First Baptist Church, but I'm about to bust it out, okay? How many of you believe, really, really believe that wearing a mask helps out with the coronavirus when you're out in public. How many of you believe that, that wearing a mask helps, all right? Handful, right? My hand's up, I'm, I'm one of those, okay? I told you it's gonna get controversial, you're getting uncomfortable. How many of you believe that wearing a mask doesn't really help you? Don't look around at other people, you worry about yourself, okay? Put the controversy aside. How many of you say wearing a mask isn't really helpful and, and I do it out of respect sometimes, but it's not something personally I believe is important, all right? Let me see a show of hands, all right? Right? We're, we're close to 50-50 in the room right now. Right Now, here's my last question, and this is for all of you. How many of you have been told by a medical professor or read an article by a medical professor that supports your current belief? Every single one of you. Surprise, surprise, you believe it because science says, and you found the right science to tell you that. Congratulations, you're all right. We do this all the time. We want it to be right, and so we find the evidence that supports our current beliefs. By the way, I'm saying this about Christians as well. We need to be careful. Right? We need to understand that we can, we can come from a position of trying to force the matter, and we start straying away from truth. Uh, this is an aside. We could have done this on our lesson on Scripture. We do this with the Bible all the time. We want something to be true, so we dig into the Bible to find pieces of what we want to be true, and we ignore the rest of the context. Don't do that, right? We have this misuse of science all the time, and it happens predominantly in our own biases. The second way we misuse science, and it's important to understand, is that we confuse cognitive science, that is what we know and can observe right here and right now, with historical science. Right? We, we blend together what we can test in front of us and what we can deduce from history. Now, historical science is important. It should not be thrown out. But it cannot prove things the way that cognitive science can. It, it just can't. We weren't there in history. So think of it like a detective. I'll give you an example, and I'm, I'm fabricating this example a little bit to protect the innocent in my house. Right? Uh, think of this as an example. Almost every day, my middle daughter eats fruit snacks as a snack, right? Is that fair to say? She's affirming it right there almost every day. We, get, we call them Scooby snacks. They're, they're delicious. I eat some every once in a while, right? But she eats them almost every day. 
I've witnessed her eat them on multiple occasions. She's just admitted she eats them regularly all the time. Also, she likes to come sit in the living room and eat them because she don't want to go upstairs by herself or hang out in the kitchen by herself. So she'll come sit with us and eat her fruit snacks in the living room. I see this happen day after day. There are plenty of times when she's done, she sets the wrapper down, she gets up and she leaves the room, and I'd say, Ashton, before you go anywhere, don't forget to grab your trash. Take it with you. Throw it away. This happens multiple times. So the other day, I'm in the house, right? I see, the, me and Josiah, the only ones in the room, I see a Scooby snack wrapper sitting on the table. And I know, based on the evidence that I have witnessed and experienced, Ashton eats fruit snacks in the living room, I know, based on what I've experienced, Ashton often forgets and leaves her wrapper, and so I come to an important conclusion. And I yell, Ashton, get down here, you're in trouble. This is historical science, and we do it all the time. But here's the flaw. On this particular day, what I didn't know is that Hannah decided to have some fruit snacks. I had all the evidence that I could possibly know, but there are some things in history I can't know. And so I can come to conclusions and later find out that this historical event did not take place the way I thought it would. We do this all the time. Here's the truth about historical science. It can be very valuable and very important. We should study it, but we have to acknowledge we can't possibly have all of the facts. It's not like a cognitive science that's in front of us that we see everything right here in this contained space. It involves history that we know nothing about. And so we have to understand that a secular world, especially in regards to the history of the world, relies extremely heavily on historical science. It has to. By the way, you and I do the same thing with our belief in creationism. We rely on historical evidence. The biggest difference between our understanding of this historical evidence and a secular world's understanding of historical evidence is this. You and I have one more giant piece that the secular world doesn't have. As we're putting the puzzle together, they're doing it without an eyewitness account. And guess what? We have an entire book that is written to tell us how it came to be. If you believe the Bible is true, you have more historical evidence than the secular world, and you can have confidence that God's word is true. Now, we've seen how science can be misused by Christians and non-Christians alike. I want to look at how nature then speaks to us about God. If you have your notes in your bulletin, you can find those on our website, fbcrobinson.com slash resources. You can pull those up and, and you'll find all of our sermon notes, including passages of scripture this morning. The first thing I want you to take note of is this. Nature confirms God's word. Nature confirms God's word. We'll say it again, they were not at odds with each other. It's not as if there's a battle to be fought. Nature actually confirms what we read about in Scripture. Now, I do want you to out loud repeat after me because this is important to know. Okay, So I'm going to say it. I want to hear you say it. The Bible is not a science book. Can you say that? Say it to yourself over and over again in your head to remind yourself. When people come at you with scientific questions, you don't go to the Bible and say, the Bible has an answer for all of those questions, because the Bible is not a science book. But what we know is the science that is presented in the Bible is true. 
It may not be primarily a book to teach us about science, but when we understand what the Bible says, it helps us to confirm what God's word says. Understanding God's creation actually enhances our understanding of God's word. The more we know about his created order, the more the word of God can come to life. Let me give you a beautiful example of this. Psalm 139 verse 13 says this. You formed me in my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. What a beautiful passage to talk about the growth of a child inside of its mother and how God is growing it and putting it together. I think about this verse when it must have been written for the readers to have listened and thought, what a miracle that God does inside a woman's body. But in the last half a century, our technology and our science has allowed us actually to look inside of a mother's womb. Now, with all three of my children, I was able to see an image of their heartbeat while they were inside my wife. Amazing. Mind-blowing. We were actually able to to track their progress with measurements and to see when they were a size of a a peanut to where they're the size of a, a pickle and then they were the size of a person. It was amazing. Then they came out with these things called 3D imaging. And particularly with Josiah, a little bit with Ashton, she wasn't so cooperative. She's a little hyper and moved around a lot. But you get these 3D pictures and you could see the hand inside the womb. You could actually see fingers moving and legs kicking. Hannah could feel that, but I got to see that, you know? Science now, as we understand what's going on inside of a mother's womb, makes this verse explode. God, look look at the details that you're doing. They're inside a mother. As we understand science around us, it confirms God's word. It enhances our understanding of what God is trying to tell us. God gave us his creation to know him better and to confirm what he's been telling us all along. Discoveries about the creation teach us more about the creator. You can look in the book of Job over and over and over again. In the book of Job, we read references to air having weight, a scientific fact. To light moving. It used to thought, uh, be a thought that light just stayed stagnant. We read about in Job that the earth is floating in space. You know, there was a time when science, the leading scientists believed that the earth was resting on some large cosmic animal. Yeah. The Bible says, scoffs at that. The earth hangs in balance. We can read in the book of Job about oceans containing springs, something just recently discovered in the last uh, millennium or so. All throughout Scripture, you can read elsewhere about a round earth, patterns in the wind, life in the blood. Other idioms that were once thought false are now confirmed with our understanding of science. The Bible is not a science book. But as we make science discoveries, it's amazing how it confirms several of the poetic references we have throughout the Bible. Again, where we start from matters. What you believe about Scripture matters. Geology is a science. Now, I hear a lot of questions about the flood and the worldwide catastrophe and how our planet would not even be able to survive or understand... There's no evidence for a flood. You know what I found? If you start to think about how a flood works, I give credit to Answers in Genesis. We were just at the the Ark uh, encounter this past week. I, I give credit to Answers in Genesis for some of these things. 
They say, and they teach, it makes perfect sense, if you have a large global flood, what would you expect to find as you dug around the earth? Well, you would expect to find billions and billions of dead things gathered together in layered rock that was laid, rushing water, run on top of the other, scattered not just locally, but over the entire face of the earth. Now, let me ask you, what do geologists find as they start to study the earth? You know what they find? They find billions and billions of dead things laid in layers and layers of rock, scattered, not locally, all over the face of the earth. By the way, some of these layers stretch completely across the continent of the United States of America. We're not talking about just the Grand Canyon. We're talking about the majority of the continent we live on having one cohesive layer. This is evidence of a worldwide flood. The more we study creation and nature, the more it confirms exactly what the Bible tells us. We can have confidence that God's word is true because nature helps confirm it. The second thing I want you to write down is this. Nature screams God's glory. Nature screams God's glory. That's where our Psalm 19.1 comes back in. Listen to how the the psalmist writes this. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky proclaims His handiwork. These words declare and proclaim aren't whispers. These aren't meant meant to be things written down and hidden. No, these are verbs that describe God's making obvious and apparent His creation and His glory. We've heard from many people in the last couple of months, if God was real, if God really exists, why is He so hidden and why does He not make Himself more obvious? Psalm 19.1 would confirm Not only does God make himself obvious, he declares and proclaims and shouts, I'm here. The nature around us is meant to point us not to our own knowledge, but to the glory of the creator who made it. One of the best proofs for an existence of God is the world around us. Just looking at the creation shouts out his existence. There are many philosophers who have used this in times past and and talked about how how the details of life scream that God must exist. I'll give you one example. There was a time when we were trying to figure out as humanity, as a human race, how it is we got so lucky to hit the lottery that our planet sits right where it's at in proximity to the sun, the speed that it rotates with the atmosphere it has, It was like an unbelievable miracle. And so as human beings, we decided, by the way, that is a scientific, uh, uh, well-accepted scientific study, that, that our earth is perfectly positioned for life. As we all agree on that, we tried to figure out how that was, and they came up with originally four factors that contributed to life. You had to have these four things, and the earth had all four, and no other body in the universe had all four. That's still pretty remarkable, except that as science began to change and learn more, that four turned into 400, and then that 400 factors turned into 4,000, and now we're up in the millions of factors that are required for human life, for, for any life, and our earth hit the jackpot. We got lucky, wink, wink, right? 
the entire cosmos screams, someone put this here. Somebody created and made this. And to our shame, humanity has taken the greatest non-biblical evidence for the existence of God, and they've used it as a case against him. As if God said, here's all the evidence of why I'm the creator. And we as human beings have said, let me throw that back in your face. Let me twist and manipulate in a way that, that tries to prove you don't exist. I've always said, if scientists in a lab somewhere somehow discover a way to make life, that's their goal, right? If we can spontaneously make life in our lab, then we can prove there's no need for God. First of all, I say, why does it prove there's no need for God? God can do those things too. Do you remember when, when Moses and Aaron went before Pharaoh and did the miracles, and Pharaoh's like, hold on, I've got some magicians too who can do some cool tricks, Right? That doesn't make Moses' tricks any less. As a matter of fact, Moses' snake ate the magician's snake. God says, I'm better. So it doesn't disprove God. Here's the other thing. What that proves to me, if a scientist ever spontaneously makes life in a lab, this helps you not to be paranoid about it, is that there was some intelligent designer that created that life in the lab. It required an intelligent mind working to create that life. There is no life without a creator. It just confirms what we know about God. We have used this as the enemy, but in reality, nature screams to us, God is glorious. The last thing I I want you to take note of about nature and God is that nature reveals God's standard. If you're writing down notes, I think it's important to, to include the word maybe above partially. Nature partially reveals God's standard. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. One thing that scientists really struggle to explain is our our conscience, our personal understanding of moral awareness and convictions. There's evolutionary thoughts on why we have different morals that we have, but, but the truth is there is an underlying moral awareness for people across the planet, and scientists can't make sense of that. We don't understand without a creator why we know that murder is wrong and is always wrong. We, we can't explain that. God implanted morality in human beings. It's part of us bearing his image. In Genesis chapter 2, when it talks about uh, 1 and 2, when it talks about the creation of man that were made in his image, one of the things it means is we have an understanding of God's morality. Since the fall, our image bearing has greatly been hindered, but our ability to listen to our conscience is still there. That's why even the most evil people have limits to their evil. Even the worst people in the world have certain things that they just can't stomach to do. God implanted this morality in us, and God's grace allows us to understand so much more of God's moral goodness than we would have on our own. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 23 illustrate this the best in Scripture. Listen to what it says about nature and creation. It says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So, in other words, we're all under condemnation because we have pushed truth away. Where do we get this truth from? For what can be known about God is plain to them, 
The truth is plain because God has shown it to them. His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. It's the creation that shows us these things. In these things that have been made, so they, you and I, are without excuse. For although they knew God, they saw his creation, they understood there was a creator, they understood morality, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Verse 19 tells us, God has revealed his moral conscience to all people through creation. And in verse 21, it says, Although they knew God and could see his creation, they did not honor him as God. And in verse 23, it says, We claim to be wise with all of our knowledge. We puff ourselves up, but in doing so, turning from God, we become fools. We exchange the glory that God has put around us for our own images and our own understanding. Nature reveals to us enough to remind us we are a condemned people in need of a Savior. What nature does not and cannot do is tell us how to escape from that condemnation. That's why it only partially, only partially reveals God's standard. God's Word fully reveals His standard, and as we study it, We're reminded that creation is enough to tell us there's a creator and we're separated from him. God's word tells us that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross to die a death that we deserve. Scripture reveals to us what nature begins to explain. Namely, that apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ, we cannot have a relationship with our creator. We remain broken and separated from him for all of eternity. Nature reminds us that we need more, and Scripture says this is more. So this morning, as we we think about nature, it not only shows us God's greatness and glory, it shows us His judgment, it shows us our need for this Creator, and it begs us to study His Word more, fully revealed, so that we can understand salvation. Is science contrary to what the Bible says? Absolutely not. We take great comfort in knowing that we can support sciences, the study of knowledge, because it confirms what God has already told us. We can be thankful that we have more of the pieces of the puzzle than the secular world has, that that God has given us eyewitness accounts that he wrote down. This is what happened at the beginning. I'm the one who created it all. We can be thankful that we have more scientific understanding than a secular world can have because we have the full picture But we can be reminded that science only, our study of nature only, draws us to a need to be in God's word, to know more fully what nature is screaming, to study salvation from the source of the Savior himself. So this morning, I hope we'll have confidence in our faith, even in the midst of scientific questions, knowing that it draws us deeper into his word, and brings us to an understanding of our need for salvation. Let's pray together. 
Father, we have so many questions we don't know the answers to in regard to how this world works. Lord, the more I study your creation, the more I feel like Job himself listening to a lecture. Were you there when I created everything? Were you there when I pushed the mountains up? Were you there when I spread the waters wide? Were you there when I hung the stars? God, I don't have those answers. So Lord, I'm thankful that I know the one who does. Father, as we look at nature around us, as we study science in this world, let it be reminded, let let it remind us of your glory and your goodness. Let it push us towards a desire to know your word and more fully understand truth. And Lord, this morning, let us be confident in your word above any confidence we have in what science or study of creation would tell us. Father, we thank you that your Your creation confirms your word. We love you and we thank you for the salvation your word brings. It's in your name we pray. Amen.